You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. Yo, yo, what time is it there, Eurosimos? It is midnight right here in uh, Topanga Canyon. Oh, damn. <laughs> we just wrapped up an incredible conversation with one of the OG truth warriors, Gavin Nascimento. His first episode with us was episode 17. He's one of the most prolific researchers out there, um, really uncovering the agendas of um, these, really, these, I guess, uh, I'll put it plainly, elite families that have been trying to coerce and control um, our lives for quite a long period of time. I want you guys to stay grounded listening to this episode. There's a lot of heavy information that is shared about the nature of reality and the systems that are in place, obviously to our detriment, um, but I'll trust you guys with that. As always, all our episodes can be found at hereforthetruth.com. You can download our ebook from there as well, 55 Signs of Low Self-Esteem for Truth Seekers. Round two applications for Rise Above the Herd are officially closed. Um, we might be opening up again in September. Other than that, do you have anything to add, my bro? That's it. I hope you all enjoy this episode. It's uh, another uh, uh, must listen and must watch. Yeah. And as always, guys, please, if you want to support us, wherever you're listening, please like, review, rate, comment, subscribe, do whatever you need to do to help us get the message out. Um, with that being said, here is Gavin. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 76 of Here for the Truth podcast. And today I have a human being who I have the utmost respect for. Uh, Gavin Nascimento is in the house. Gavin's original episode with us was episode 17. And we discussed the history of propaganda in a real and profound way. If you're looking for a brief history of Gavin, we recommend you go check out episode 17. But guys, this guy has been at it for years. Probably one of the most underrated um, truth speakers out there, in my opinion. Gavin, such a pleasure to have you back, man. Pleasure to be back, brother, and thank you. Very kind words. Give me far too much credit, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm mean it, bro. I remember, I remember back, back in the day, ten years ago, when you first started that that Facebook page, and to me, just it's, it's, it, it stays with me, man. And you, you, you've had an impact, bro. So credit where credit's due, dude. I agree. Well, thank you, brother. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, you're doing amazing things, and uh, you've got some brilliant insights. So. So it's an honor. Thanks, man. We're interested to hear what, 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 what research you've been diving into lately and what insights, I guess, you've been garnering. Um, so what's been happening in your world? Yeah, look, in terms of the research, it's, it's very interesting because every now and then, uh, actually quite often, right, when you're in the pursuit of truth, which is it's a way of life, but every now and then you stop because you go tumbling down the proverbial rabbit hole or ascending up the proverbial cave, Plato's proverbial cave. And eventually, sometimes you might just take a stop and then you, you kind of reflect on how much you know today compared to how much you knew just a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And recently I took quite a quantum leap. I had uh, quite the download, the neo download. I know Kung Fu kind of <laughs> shit, you know? <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, man, it's it's just it's crazy. Like, I actually found a blog I wrote back in 2011 where I spoke about the trajectory, the trajectory of where events are heading. So, 
it's almost like a mathematical certainty that when awareness is raised, then this culminates in revolution, right? If you look into history with the printing press, I think we spoke briefly about this last time. So now with the internet, it's obviously the same thing. So it wasn't very difficult to predict that that's going to happen. And then in turn, this antiquated ruling establishment, they are going to, they're going to buy it back. They're going to do whatever they can to maintain their power. And then just reading that back in 2011, where I had very fragmented uh, details and a lot of it was just intuitively knowing about it, right? And I think a lot of people intuitively, they know that there's crazy shit going on where these people are trying to implement insane policies of population control, which is obviously a very innocuous term, a more uh, forward term, a more frank term is like eugenics, you know, that these people are actively trying to eliminate our numbers and they'll do it through all kinds of crazy means, whether it's the food, whether it's pharmaceuticals, whether it's uh, the water. Now, I realize to the person who is not familiar with this kind of information, that sounds batshit crazy, right? But what I've been able to do very recently is get the, the minute details to qualify that statement. So it's, it's always different when you know something intuitively and you can kind of speculate about it. And then when you can give names, you can give dates, you can give incontrovertible evidence that shows, yes, for the past 120 years, there have been powerful families like Rockefellers, powerful organizations like the Council on Foreign Relations and the Rockefeller Foundation, of course, that, uh, that what they want to do is, yes, they want to either embark on massive campaigns of social engineering. The Rockefeller family are pioneers in social engineering. Yep. Or they want to implement major policies of population control, and they have resorted, or at least deliberated very seriously, on using sterilants in the water supply, on um, weaponizing insecticides. I mean, this kind of shit was published in a prestigious journal like Science in the past. You know, it's, it's out there for the people that want to look into it. And then also just in terms of uh, the, the system of world government, right? Intuitively, we all know, yes, like, kind of like the Hegelian dialect. Uh, you said you spoke to David Icke recently, right? He's somebody that often says problem, reaction, solution. I'm sure you might, might have even mentioned it in your mm-hmm. interview. We all know about this on one level or another, but what I've managed to do recently with my research was find out just the very, very fine details, the names, the families, the organizations, in in just the, the most appropriate context to be able to explain it to somebody who's completely credulous, who doesn't want to believe any of this shit, but it's once they are presented with evidence, they have nowhere else to go. And in that relation, I've managed to unearth enough information. Of course, it's, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, the people that have done uh, you know, incredible, meticulous research prior to me. And then I've managed to piece certain things together here and there, piece the puzzle together. But basically that uh, communist Russia, what we call initially communist Russia, the Bolshevik revolution, the communist revolution, which you guys have probably heard of this, uh, they were financed, of course, by the Western powers, by the establishment powers, once again, the Rockefeller family there as well. And then they used this threat, this inflated threat, to justify doing all kinds of crazy research, MK Ultra, um, just just insane things, overthrowing different governments. And the reality is, well, 
there were large demographics within the U.S. government and the Russian government that believed in this. At the highest level, they were working together to implement world government. And then the exact same thing happened, but it was actually even more of a seminal event with Nazi Germany. And that was really mind-blowing because we all have, you know, there's two schools of thought when it comes to what happened during World War II. We all know that there's something not quite right about the story, yep. but there's two predominant schools of thought. The first one is that Hitler is just like the most evil fucking guy that ever lived. And don't get me wrong, the dude is he's evil, man. He really is, no joke. Um, but he's a student. I cannot stress that enough. This dude was a student of a much older, antiquated, and far more powerful and greater evil than he is. And then, of course, the other school of thought, which is equally radical and equally fucking absurd, is that, uh, because, I mean, the first one is that he's a soul nut, right? He's always the soul nut, the single lone guy. Just get rid of him and it's all good. The other one is that he's like some kind of hero. And no, Hitler is not some fucking euro he was working for the system and he actually just got played by the system yeah man i uh in some of my research i i, I had come across the fact that he was heavily inspired by and funded by you know american eugenicists and you know the yeah. early early 1900s so can you talk a little bit about that yeah yeah sure so it's, it's really it's profound right uh on every facet and every level they actually empowered hitler Militarily, ideologically, everything, the whole nine yards. So just in relation to eugenics, first and foremost, before Hitler even came to power, before he rose to power, in the United States, a majority of states already had sterilization laws in place. Okay, this was before Hitler even came to power. These sterilization laws were spearheaded. And when I say sterilization laws, I mean like they mandate amongst themselves, these elitist pricks, whether you can have children or not. So there was a famous case of a, a, a girl named Carrie Buck where they gave her the pseudoscientific diagnosis of being feeble-minded, I shit you not. And then, I mean, in, in hindsight, we know that she was perfectly fine, but uh, the evidence indicates that she was raped by this rich family's, so one of their family members, and then she got blamed for it and shame they took away her daughter, they sterilized her. And... Some of the most powerful people in the U.S. were behind us. Several presidents, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, Wilson, um, Woodrow Wilson, excuse me. Uh, just, you know, the, these, these seminal figures. And then Hitler, of course, and Nazi Germany, they were actually inspired what they saw by what they saw taking place in the United States. There was, in fact, a guy by the name of Madison Grant. He wrote a book called The Passing of the Great Race. Pseudoscientific is fact, just nonsense. But where he basically stated, and it's so important that people understand this, because oftentimes eugenics gets portrayed as being this racist ideology. But racism is almost synonymous with like white supremacy. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is, eugenicists wanted to murder, of course, in their own academic terms and so on and so forth. They wanted to eliminate the gene pool of the overwhelming majority of white people too. It was people of color, it was uh, lots of white people. As well, you know, in Virginia, they rounded up a bunch of them and they sterilized them. Um, but yeah, with Hitler and, and Nazi Germany, and there was Madison Grant, he read this book, Hitler, and he actually came to refer to it as my Bible. It had a profound influence on his outlook moving forward. And this was an American, Madison Grant. He was very close with all the elitist uh, families. In fact, there was a park named after him in California that just last year they removed the mantle and on there, 
But one of the people that donated that park to him was John D. Rockefeller, who was a close friend of him, a friend of his. Then another guy, and this is so important for people to understand because it's really just so mind-blowing, is that the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute, which today is the Max Planck Institute, mm. this was bankrolled heavily financed by the Rockefeller Foundation. In fact, if you look at the leading scholars on this particular topic, they will make it very clear that had it not been for the Rockefeller family's patronage, the German science, German pseudoscience into eugenics would never have been able to take place. Never. Okay. So they were the ones that funded and they actually guided the research of the German eugenics and scientific establishment because back then, you know, they were going through a Great Depression. A lot of people know about this. So obviously, to conduct science, you need money. Who's got a shitload of money? The Rockefeller family does. So they they guided them, basically, into this field of eugenics. And the significance of the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute is this became the heart of the Nazi eugenics program. In fact, there was a guy named Eugene Fisher. And Eugene Fisher, also, he got personal grants from the Rockefeller Foundation. And the the books that he wrote the scientific books that he wrote, they came to serve as the, the basis, the foundation that spearheaded the, the laws that led to the so-called final solution. So this, this plan, this ideological plan that inspired Hitler, because, and that was the other person who was very profound, uh, very profound influence in Hitler was Eugene Fischer. When um, he saw this information, it greatly inspired him. And then all he needed from that point, now he had got this influence from uh, the Americans. In fact, he even told uh, one of his highest ranking um, figures, uh, his secretary or something, that he's basically modeling his program in many ways after America. And there was a guy very recently that actually wrote a book on how Nazi Germany modeled their entire their laws on the laws of the United States. But um, all he needed then from there was the funding. And... Uh, I've looked very closely into this. It's absolutely indisputable. There is no room for debate on this subject because all of the evidence is out there uh, hiding in plain sight if you're willing to do the mountainous, mindful work to get that shit done. He was, uh, he was completely funded and bankrolled by the Western establishment. Without their help, Nazi Germany would have never, ever risen to power. Never. It's mind-blowing, man. It is mind-blowing. But you know what? You know, you, know, this is, you know what's mind-blowing about it being mind-blowing? It's only mind-blowing because we have had our perceptions of objective reality so perversely inverted yep. that it seems crazy. But that's actual reality. And it starts to make a hell of a lot more sense than the, the bullshit we've been told. Oh, totally, man. And the, what you said is, is true. It's like if you're willing to just – search beyond the first page of Google, you know, the first two pages of Google and, and pick up a few books and connect some dots. And like, you realize like what, like, there's so much that human beings don't know. They, just, oh, so no, they don't even know. They don't even know. Yeah. Maybe. And I always think to myself, like, what am I going to know fucking in five years from now? You know, should never end. <laughs> never ending. Yeah. It's, it's nuts, man. It's like none of this stuff's taught in schools. You know what I mean? <laughs> And that precisely indicates, in fact, you know, you mentioned how uh, it wasn't taught at schools. And this is so important for people to understand in relation to current events. The eugenics establishment wasn't some, you know, crazy 
doctors and scientists in their mother's basement conducting these insane experiments. These were the most prestigious authorities in the scientific establishment, okay? Pioneers in the respective field. In fact, the guy that coined eugenics, that is considered the father of eugenics, was Sir Francis Galton, who was the cousin and close friend of Charles Darwin. Mm. And Charles Darwin, people don't realize if you read his book, um, uh, the, I think it's The Ascent of Man, if I recall correctly now. It's been a while since I read it. In there, it is undeniable that the dude is elitist as hell. And he's a, he's a lot more indirect about his positions. But he extensively quotes Francis Galton, who is the father of eugenics. And it's, it's just an endless list, man. And these people have gone into all kinds of positions of prestigious power. I mean, at the highest, highest levels, and particularly in the medical field. In fact, the people that are behind the establishment of organizations like the United Nations and the World Health Organization, both of which were established in the wake of World War II, uh, along with many other centralized governing bodies, they are very closely linked, if not directly linked, to the eugenics establishment. You know, when I when I listen to all this and I think about it, I just think of George Carlin's quote, uh, it's one big club and you ain't in it. And, and it's, I, I always say that to myself as well, man, because it's so damn true. I don't know if he knew the depth of the statement that he was uh, expressing. I mean, he's a brilliant man. I love him. But it's so deep what he actually said, because this shit goes back hundreds of years and in some countries like uh with the black nobility in italy mm -hmm. some of them they claim that their descendants come from the ancient emperors of rome which is nuts you know we can trace their lineage on paper for over a thousand years even the house of Windsor in england mm. that's over a thousand years and then they all know each other and it's 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 crazy man yeah it's absolutely insane so what like what is the roots of the idea of eugenics, you know, how, 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 how far back does this go? Like, sure. They did the seeds of this idea started sprouting, I guess, in the yeah. last hundred, 150 odd years, but how long was this in the works beforehand? Yeah. So you see, this is something we can only speculate upon. Uh, something that I do note in the recent blog, I mean, it's more like an essay that I wrote is that eugenics itself because oftentimes this is viewed as like the, the birthplace of all evil. But that's, that's ridiculous. It's, it's just a branch. It's a branch of elitism. And elitism is just a simple notion that one group of individuals, family members, or just you know, ambitious, sadistic psychopaths, and oftentimes all of them together, they have the right to rule, exploit, enslave, and control other people. And of course, eugenics goes back, it goes back thousands of years, man. A, 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 a particular reference that a lot of people will be familiar with is in ancient Sparta. In the film 300, for example, excuse me, when a baby is considered to be weak or not capable, they, at least in the film, they throw it off the cliff and then the baby gets killed. That's what eugenics is. It's a form of population control, and that's an extreme form. But uh, the, the difference between then and now is it's just a hell of a lot more sophisticated, guys. There are so many things. Like I said, in 1969, 
for example, uh, published in the prestigious journal Science, which actually started out as a eugenics journal, people have no idea how deep the shit goes. Um, in there, the, the guy known as the father of the contraceptive pill, Paul Gerasi, that's DJ, his name starts with DJ Gerasi, he openly deliberates about different forms of population control and he's actually quoting people such as Bernard Berelson, who is from the Population Council, who was founded by John D. Rockefeller III, and their first president was the former president of the American Eugenics Society, Frederick Osborne. And in there, he literally talks about weaponizing an insecticide for the purpose of population control. And he even remarks on how, because in the science community, what they tend to do is first study animals and how these things affect animals. It's going to take time for them to get to humans. So then it'll make it an especially efficient weapon against, uh, against human beings. Now, I want to be very clear here. The way that he contextualizes this, because the publication was called uh, Birth Control After 1984. And listen, guys, I'm, if people want to make a choice to do birth control and all that, that's fine with me. I'm not like some extreme crazy fucking conservative. But the evidence is the evidence. Wherever the fuck it leads, that's where the truth leads. And you bow before it, you live a fucking lie. That's that's reality. And anyways, in this publication, he presents it as though he's saying why these things won't work. He's talking about Bernard Berylson, who was, you know, talking about going to more extreme levels of population control if they can't call the population. And he makes it seem as though he's saying, oh, this is why these things won't work. But he goes into so much detail that you have to be incredibly naive not to see how he's actually giving instructions of how these things can be accomplished. But yeah, to, sorry, long story short, All good. this stuff goes thousands of years, man. Yeah, man. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, man, I want to get into to, to Gates and his history too. Um, look, that's, um, and we should because I can give you some really good information on that stuff. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, cool. Let's just pick it up and, and run away with it. Yeah, let's do All it, right, man. Cool. Okay, so with, with uh, Bill Gates, to understand him, you obviously have to look at his dad, right? William Gates Sr. Now, William Gates Sr. was uh, during Bill Gates' childhood, because he's actually an interview, I have the interview, I have the transcript with Bill Moyers. Bill Moyers uh, is obviously, you know, not some scrub within the establishment. He was a former chairman of the Council on Foreign Relations. In the interview, he asks him specifically, what inspired your interest in reproductive health issues, right? Like in, in population control, we didn't frame it that way, but reproductive health issues, family planning, they've got these colloquial terms that they use. And then he explains, he says, you know, when I was younger, my dad was head of Planned Parenthood. Now, it's very interesting. The moment you go look up this, what you're going to find is that a lot of media outlets, establishment media outlets, they'll acknowledge that William B. Senior was with Planned Parenthood. But and now I know when people, oh, yeah, this fucking guy goes with Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood's first three uh, presidents and its founder were all devout eugenicists. And I'll get into that briefly in a moment. But the significance here, first of all, the establishment media still covers it up. So you got all the fact checkers and they're like, oh, no, he was never a, uh, a chairman or something like that. But Bill Gates made this claim himself. Now, they do at least acknowledge that he was with Planned Parenthood, the establishment media outlets. But I find it interesting because you don't find any dates. They don't mention the dates that William Gates Sr. was involved with Planned Parenthood. 
But if you listen to the interview from Bill Gates and you just use a little bit of elementary and reductive logic, you realize, because he said that he was a kid, that they would sit around the table and his mother and his father, they would have very adult, mature conversations with them about the work that they were doing at Planned Parenthood. So if you put your, you know, your thinking cap on a bit, and I can't remember his precise date of birth now, but the way that it works out is that Gates Sr. was involved with Planned Parenthood during the, the 60s and early 70s, because after that, Bill Gates is 18 years old. So, and he's making it clear that he was a child. The significance of this is during that time, Planned Parenthood was under the directorship of a guy by the name of Alan Goodmarker. Alan Goodmarker was a devout eugenicist. He, was, uh, he had a high-ranking position in the American Eugenic Society. He also had, it was some, I can't remember the ridiculous name of this organization, but it was something like the, the Better Breeding Association, another eugenics outfit. And, uh, and he would speak. He, in fact, I found a news article. I've got a lot of good information on archive.org because that's the best place I know of that you can find information or save information. You can archive information without censorship. It's almost like the proverbial library of Alexandria. And I use that term specifically because Alexandria Burns, they will eventually go after archive.org. But I've got some really good info in there right now. And in the article that I have, he does talk about uh, implementing um, forced sterilization or population control programs. Then in addition to that, during the 60s and the 70s, there were other eugenicists, in fact, one of them in New York Times, is very, very frank, this individual. And he says, look, what, we, what this is about, what uh, us engaging in this birth control movement is all about. And again, if people want to take birth control, that's fine, man. I don't give a fuck. And at the same time, like, I'm somebody, in extreme cases, I think that women should have a, a right to, to do an abortion. And if a woman gets raped, for example, who the fuck am I to tell her that she has to have that baby? You know, I think there, there's a lot of discussion about all that needs, that needs to take place. But the objective reality and truth is that Planned Parenthood was, was a, a vehicle for eugenics. You know, the Rockefeller Foundation, once again, were key patrons of, uh, of Margaret Sanger, who was the founder of Planned Parenthood. Margaret Sanger, I've read her book, it is undeniable. She was a virulent um, eugenist. You know, she spoke openly about doing more innocuous forms of population control. But in her book, in her own book, she even notes specifically interestingly that we're talking about uh, ancient greece that they you know it may be needed to do more spartan-like methods she knew exactly what the fuck she was talking about and anyways so bill gates he what we can extrapolate from that is he was talking to his dad and his mom about planned parenthood very seriously at that age which suggests highly suggests especially given his proclivities and his perceptions and the way he talks that he was indoctrinated into the cult, and it is a cult, of eugenics at a very young age. What makes this especially interesting, right, the Gates Foundation began under William Gates Sr.'s guidance. That's how it began. William Gates Sr. Senior bring into this woman, I can't remember her name now, but if you guys need any show notes or something like that to provide your viewers, I can get it up all, got all this stuff in the blog, or they can just read the blog. Yeah. Um, this woman was also heavily involved with Planned Parenthood, and he noted that when he got together with them, because they were the ones that actually established the Gates Foundation together, what brought them together was Planned Parenthood, the work they did together in Planned Parenthood. 
she very quickly puts him in touch with this other guy. Ah, man, I can't remember the damn organization he comes from. But this is an organization that is likewise, likewise engaged in the field of population control. This dude had a, a career spending longer than a decade with the Ford Foundation. The Ford Foundation has been throughout its history a vehicle for eugenics policies. At one time, in fact, it was the greatest patron in terms of material wealth next to the Rockefeller Foundation for the eugenics movement. So all the red flags are going on here that this is just a new vehicle for, for eugenics. Now, in addition to that, if you read William Gates Sr.'s uh, biography, his autobiography, he even mentions in there how he was specifically inspired by the Rockefeller family and, and how they stick with certain problems for generations and generations. Uh, James Corbett of the Corbett Report, he actually made a really good documentary. It goes into some of that history about Bill Gates. And then just beyond that, if we take a look at his entry into the stage of, uh, of philanthropy, and we, we should also maybe discuss this, the philanthropy establishment, guys, that's actually what people think the clandestine intelligence community like the CIA, MI6, so on and so forth. That's actually what the nonprofit foundations are fucking doing. They are the vehicle. They are the favored vehicles of the establishment. So we can maybe get into that. But anyways, with the Gates Foundation, they started to really rise to prominence through Gavi. Gavi is the, obviously, it's the largest vaccine initiative organization specifically for children in the entire world. It was founded uh, through a couple of meetings at the World Economic Forum and specifically the Bellagio Hotel, which is owned by the Rockefeller Foundation. And, uh, and there, what people don't know about this issue, because they don't openly talk about this, which is, I find very interesting. And the Rockefeller Foundation, the Rockefeller family as well, they are not, they don't feel the need to show their peacock feathers. It's really interesting how they operate. They are more than happy to be completely away in the shadows and let other people take credit. And then historically, it becomes a bit more difficult to, to find their role. But within Gavi, they played a, an absolutely paramount role. And at the Bellagio Hotel, this was what culminated in the Gates Foundation's entry, and Bill Gates specifically, entry into the field of philanthropy. And at the same time, there was this lawsuit going on with the, the DOJ, the Department of Justice, uh, against Microsoft. And then shortly after, this is when Gavi emerges and he starts to get more involved. So it's possible they, they gave him a little bit of a nudge and well, they gave him a little bit of a push. And the people that were involved in the founding of Gavi, which was, um, I think his name was James Wolfson, if I remember correctly. He was the director of the World Bank. This guy, if you read his autobiography, he says that David Rockefeller was basically his idol. And he sat on a bunch of different Rockefeller-associated uh, board of directors. So there's another key Rockefeller individual there. The other person was from, I can't remember if it was the United Nations or the World Health Organization. That same year, the Rockefeller Foundation gave them a massive grant. And it was a grant where they specifically said she could do whatever she wants with it. So that's kind of like, oh, you know, there's another nice little connection there. And then the last person was from, might be the World Food Program, I can't remember, but they also had a Rockefeller connection. So what we see is Bill Gates in his earliest beginnings, and there's a lot more details, I'm probably forgetting stuff now. It is undeniable that there are remnants of the eugenics establishment that inspired his, his entry. And of course, when we look into this guy's, uh, and also the grant making, 
found a very interesting grant on the Gates Foundation in which they literally financed, um, it was like a 10-year grant or something like that. They financed a device that you can implant in a woman and then remotely you can turn on her fertility, turn it on or off. That's eugenic shit all day. So he, he's definitely a, a neo-eugenics disciple. But it's very important for people to understand because they think of this guy like he's the power behind the throne. He's some kind of emperor. He's not at all. The Gates Foundation is a, it's a status quo foundation. The Rockefeller Foundation, that's a pioneering foundation. So they, they did things that had never been done before. They were key in, in social engineering and the social, the social sciences. They were key in eugenics. The Gates Foundation, once they entered, they, and I've, again, if you look into the earliest reports on them and also some of the higher ranking figures that were guiding the, uh, the Gates Foundation's direction, they make it very clear that as soon as they entered the field of philanthropy, which is really its clandestine operations, once they entered that field, then um, they, they didn't try to do anything differently. They just kind of fell in line and they let organizations like the Rockefeller Foundation or the Carnegie Corporation take the lead. So would you say in the grand scheme of things, when you when we start talking about, you know, historically, these families, these royal families, these lineages, um, like someone like Bill Gates, is he just another pawn? You know, obviously a high-level pawn? Yes, yes, absolutely. So look, at the same time, we have to remember that at some point in history, John D. Rockefeller was just a new guy. So it's possible that he... He, through his father, maybe they intend to have some kind of a future influence. But in relation to modern politics, a family like, let's say, the Rockefellers, and it's interesting because when you first start getting into alternative media, and I should really say the study of actual objective fucking reality, when you start to get into that as it relates to politics and how power operates in this world, Everybody kind of knows on a superficial level that yes, the Rockefeller family is powerful, that like these, you know, money-hungry capitalists and stuff. And then as you start to research a bit deeper, that starts to get downplayed and it, it starts to be trivialized. And the Rockefeller family starts to seem as though they aren't that powerful. It's bullshit. The Rockefeller family, I would argue, are the most powerful family in the world today. Really. They have, in terms of bacteriological warfare, in terms of mind control technologies, in terms of uh, population control, social engineering, they are at the top of that list, man. They, it's, it's incredible. They, and they've got more than 70 hires currently alive. Yeah. And it's interesting because I don't know what speeches they have, what kind of rituals these fucking guys are doing, and these goals, because it's men and women. Uh, they pass this, this dedication down each subsequent generation, man. Um, the job, Bill Gates, at the moment, it's a bit premature to say, but he is, he's not some dude at the top of the totem pole at all. You know, the, the, the way to think of it, like I try to tell people all the time because we get wrapped up in interpreting the world through the perceptions they want us to, and there's all kinds of red tape in there. The best way to understand this is not to even focus too much on one particular family. Even when I, you know, point out the Rockefeller family, they themselves are still disciples of a much older ideology. What is required is that we study and understand how do agents of deception themselves operate historically? How does elitism operate? Because 
the patterns are absolutely consistent and undeniable. You know, what, what was true a thousand years ago is still very much true today in terms of their methodologies. And once we understand it, we can look beyond the politics. We can look beyond even the family name. We can look about the political uh, terms and capitalism and communism and socialism. And all of this shit is there to make what is actually a very simple topic unnecessarily complex. Yeah, it just seems as though there's been more layers added to the web um, as, as yeah, time has gone on. It insulates itself with more and more face masks. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've got this um, quote, which was from your blog on the chess game of world government, which I think, I mean, it really drives the point home. And it's by David Rockefeller, where he says, some even believe that we're part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, char characterizing my family and me as internationalists and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty and I am proud of it. Absolutely. And if you can, just point out to the viewers, well, I'll just point out to them very quickly. That comes from his own autobiography memoirs. Yeah. There's nothing taken out of context there. In fact, the chapter which that is taken from is called Proud Internationalist. And uh, David Rockefeller, man, that dude is one of the big boys. He's one of the big players. I mean, he's an old... Let's not give him too much credit, Jay. He's an old... I mean, he's dead now, you know. Good for that shit. But, and unfortunately, even though he is dead, his ideology lives on. So yeah. it's, it's kind of pointless. That's why it's, you know, we get hung up on these families and stuff, but the ideology continues. But, you know, yes, he's powerful. These are very influential figures. But if you strip them of their serpentine, deceptive ways, their, their efficiency in propaganda, their hoarding of occult knowledge that they then weaponize against the rest of us, if you strip them of that, what is a David Rockefeller except for a fucking old man that I'm pretty sure my four foot 11 sister could whoop? Right, that that's the context we need to also keep in mind because, and you you actually very good at this, Joel. I've seen you point out how people within our community, and I mean these different pockets and demographics within that community, but a lot of them they get the rope and they hang themselves. You know, they say, "Oh, the system's so powerful, it's immortal, and we can't contend with it, and we can't overtake it," and that's nonsense. Their power system historically has rested on the most frail means of of staying in its position which is deception deception is a finite power man and it's in convincing people that most people overwhelmingly share the same principles they decent human beings they don't want to hurt little children and drop bombs on people and do these horrible things and give people cancer and shit like that most people don't want to do that so once people become aware of that then their power system which rests on the illusory disguise that they are humanitarians. That's that's a very, very, very insipid foundation to, you know, rule an entire empire that envelopes Earth. So it's it's just a matter of time before yeah they they are overthrowing their context. And I just wanted to point it out quickly because as you very brilliantly noted a lot of the time, people are self defeating, man. And that that's one oh one of psychological warfare, guys. You know, conquer the enemy. Uh, psychologically, so you don't have to do anything. Hundred percent, man. Um, they've convinced everyone that they're powerless, you know, and they they've spent 
hundreds of years conditioning people to have low self-esteem on the most basic fundamental uh, level. That's that's what it is. Yeah, maybe even fucking long because we don't know the human story, you know. Yeah. Fall back the shit goes. Yeah. I mean, like just what I sense, I think it's an incredible time that we live in. I think people have more opportunity now than ever to really discover what they're capable of and discover how powerful they are. But the problem is, is that we've spent so long conditioned to be reliant on all these systems built around us that we've never really had the opportunity to figure out how to do things properly on our, by ourselves and walk our own path and really discover how powerful we are, you know? But um, I think more than ever, people are beginning to, to wake up to that reality as well and walk their own path. Because I've said this many, many, many times in this podcast, but people are realizing that there's just no point even trying to negotiate um, with 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 Babylon anymore, with with the system anymore. It's a hard no. It's a hard. I'm not taking part anymore because obviously you're trying to fucking kill me. You know, it's it's, it's as plain yeah, as plain and simple as that. They're trying to kill us, man. You know, and uh, yeah, they're going to resort to different methodologies. They differ in their in their positions and how to accomplish this, but they are pretty much unified in in killing us, <laughs> in, in controlling us. Okay, let me say controlling us. Yeah. Yes. Not all of them want to kill. A lot of them just want to pacify. You know? Yeah, pacify. Whatever it is, it's a it's a it's a systematic. Um, the psychopathic ideology. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's 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 an intentional systematic um, regression of humanity, which they're trying to to implement, um, for sure. No, it's, it's, so this, this, and the thing is, evidence is mountainous. Nobody can yeah. argue with that shit. Yeah. So this 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 might be an obvious answer, but how in your in your research does eugenics show up today you know right so you know first of all if we look at the what's going on around the world today this, this is absolutely pseudoscientific unfortunately it, people are so polarized in their perceptions of what that means that a lot of people will shut down immediately when they go that i'm sure your audience is fucking more open-minded to that understanding because I've done some research, but I fucking already two years ago, I made a five hour presentation, absolutely meticulous, fucking airtight, hundreds of sources and citations, most of which go to published uh, science journals in which I said a lot of the shit that was going to be going on now is going to go on now. Cause I knew, you know, science, that's what science is about. It helps you predict outcomes. So the reason why I reference that is because now with unemployment skyrocketing with social isolation, we have all of these problems with premature death. We have problems with serious mental health issues. We have problems with diagnosis uh, in certain diseases that went undetected and so many other things. You know, it's so played out. I put that topic of the so-called fucking pandemic on the shelf because it's, it's obscene. You know, it's just ridiculous. But uh, just to put it into context very quickly, the United Nations already in 2020, the UN University actually, and I love using their own sources because you know, what better way to fucking um, shoot the motherfucker down than with his own gun, right? And also with uh, the, uh, with the, the, I call them the credulous commoners. And don't get me wrong, you know, I've got nothing but love for my fellow human beings because we share the same principles. It's just our perceptions that need to be aligned more closely with reality. But the credulous commoners, it's really good to always give them establishment sources. And anyways, the UN University, they projected that 8% of the entire world's population half a billion people, between 400 million and 600 million people are going to be pushed into poverty, to bad poverty, right? Poverty, for those who actually know the science and have looked into this shit, 
it accentuates the risk of premature death from all causes. It accentuates the risk of suicide. So you've got now half a billion people that are being pushed to premature death. In addition to that, the World Food Program, they reported that roughly 130 million additional people, so not, not the existing pool of individuals that are on the brink of starving and dying, an additional 130 million are starving to death. And these, both of these things are because of lockdowns. And from a eugenicist point of view, it's so obvious how this is uh, meant to be a way to call the population. It's undeniable that the figures are there from establishment sources. So, and to, and these reports go back to 2020. To imagine, you know, oh, we can get vaccines to everybody, but we can't get food. Like I'm in South Africa. I've seen how really bad, this is another reason why I could talk about this from the earliest days, because I live around it. I see how bad it is. And it's impossible for one individual to meet the need. It's it's overwhelming. You know, unemployment of the age projected to go to 50%. That's insane. Okay. It's absolutely, right now it's higher than it was at the Great Depression in the United States. And it has been for a long time. In fact, I think, uh, anyways. Um, so, you know, when you look at that, these people know, they, one thing about the establishment, or they are actually very scientific in how they control the population. They are definitely um, disciples of science, no doubt about it. But they give pseudoscience to the rest of the population because that is a part of a way of part of, uh, to scientifically actually control the population. Bertrand Russell, who won the Nobel Prize in Literature, he actually wrote about this. He was also another eugenic, uh, eugenist, I mean, although they try to make it seem like he was a bit more ambiguous. But he openly wrote about this as well. How uh, in a scientific community, they will the rulers will have the real science for themselves, and then everybody else will have just bullshit, you know, stupidity, ignorance, and this will kind of dominate their worldview. But then, in addition to that, uh, so those are the two most obvious things where they are actually it's measurable, right? You you've got these reports, you've got these statistics that can be corroborated by peer-reviewed science, decades worth of uh, the harmful effects of unemployment, of social isolation, social isolation also. It, it accentuates the risk of premature death from all causes. Now, this, this isn't rocket science. In that publication, which I haven't published the whole thing, which is why you haven't seen this yet, is um, what they studied during MK Ultra was a lot of the things that are being basically rolled out on a massive scale in society today, one of which is social isolation, social distancing. Oh, how clever. It's basically, it's a form of, because people now they're going to quarantine, it's solitary confinement. That is a go-to tactic that is implemented to this day in places like Guantanamo Bay. It's a fucking torture tactic. This shit's not rocket science. You know, the, the literature is out there. It's very easy to, uh, to see. But then also, in addition to that, one of the most obvious reasons why you know that the eugenics establishment is very much still in power is uh, there's a professor, Shauna Swan. She's actually a renowned epidemiologist, and she wrote a book just last year uh, detailing that basically the human population is on track to have zero sperm counts. So we are actually becoming increasingly infertile. She projects, I believe it's by 2045, we won't be able to procreate naturally. That, that is, that is an ep that's a legitimate epidemic. That's serious shit. That means the human species, and it's interesting how it lovely just, just so happens to coincide with transhumanism, which was a term coined by another eugenist named Julian Huxley, the brother of Aldous Huxley, who was also, people don't know, 
another cryptic eugenist. Therefore, the uh, Theodore S. Huxley, another eugenist, he was actually considered the father of scientific racism, scientific racism. Again, it's a big club and you ain't in it. You know, all these dudes together there. But what she found was that the chemicals, man-made chemicals, are overwhelming to blame. She also said that atrazine, which mm. at one time was the most ubiquitous insecticide in the water supply, which in 2017, I pointed out how this is going, promoting shit like gender fluidity. It's making people confused about the gender because that's what the research indicates. Everybody freaked out. Now she said last year the exact same thing, that this may be promoting gender fluidity because in the studies that are available, it shows, for example, with first they studied frogs, just like Cole Gerasi pointed out, started with animals, so it gives time for them to infect humans with this shit. Um, what they found with the frogs is that they were literally turning homosexual. You know, they were becoming chemically castrate, castrated and demonstrating unnatural behavior, unnatural homosexual behavior, because frogs and other creatures within nature can naturally demonstrate homosexual behavior. And I want to make it clear, guys, I don't give a fuck if you're homosexual. I've got, I think, three of my best friends are, are either homosexual or bisexual. I don't give a fuck. It's just about the truth. When you have people insidiously trying to do this stuff, and, and sorry, I'm just like all over the place. It was That's a document right. from That's Planned good. Parenthood, a, a document from Planned Parenthood, and this is also significant in relation to Bill Gates. In They call it the Jaffe Memo. It's a legit document. Uh, I found it in a, a peer-reviewed publication. I archived the documents. In 1969, something known as the Jaffe Memo, which was between Frederick Jaffe, who was the vice president of Planned Parenthood, and the third president of the Population Council, which the Population Council, like I said, several of its members were past uh, members of the American Eugenic Society. The president itself was uh, Frederick Osborne, a, a huge figure in eugenics, and was founded by John D. Rockefeller III. In this publication, they literally correspond about uh, using sterilants in the water supply and promoting homosexuality and uh, um, coercing women to become like more involved in, in, in business and stuff. Now, look, if you want to choose a, a career, that's your right because we're human beings. That's why we have a right to choose our own destiny and what we want to do. Um, if you want to be homosexual, that's cool. Go do your thing, you know, go, go wild. It's you a gay club, you know, do all that stuff, whatever. But if somebody is, they've got policies to do this shit, that's a problem, right? That's a very big problem. And it's so interesting. If you look this stuff up, uh, apologists try to conceal it. Like on Wikipedia, if you look at Frederick Jaffe, Wikipedia is so dodgy. Oh, man, it's insane. It's, it's more dodgy than people even know. It's so crazy. They're, I'm sure they've actually got departments in the intelligence communities dedicated just to manipulating entire departments. I'm sure man, they must have a massive budget for it because it's crazy. It's so crazy. But if you look at Frederick Jaffe's profile and there's a section for the Jaffe memo, they, they kind of try to water it down. But if you actually don't look at things on the surface and you dig a little bit deeper, I don't know, we've only got so much time, but if you dig a little bit deeper and you go to the last page, It'll talk about different methods of population control and uh, the coercive methods of uh, using water sterilants and um, promoting homosexuality, because that's the term they use, promoting homosexuality. Yeah. Those things are there. And then when you see these chemicals being found in that are ubiquitous now, and atrazine hasn't just been studied on frogs, you know, where it's causing chemical castration, it's since been studied on humans. And it shows that for women that ingest atrazine, again, this is 
at one time, I'm not sure anymore, so I don't want to give bad information, but just a few years ago, it was the most ubiquitous and widespread insecticide uh, or contaminant in the water supply, in the drinking water, and in the water that's spraying the food and stuff. So we're all getting it on one level or another. They showed that babies that get that in utero, so while they're in their mother's womb, that it messes with their genitals, it messes with their development. You know, and then they also show that sperm counts of men, I think it is it's 10 times lower people, men that are exposed to atrazine than ordinarily. And then just one final point, Chad, the, the companies that are behind the development of these chemicals, and this is so mind-blowing, mm. they are companies like BASF and, uh, and Bayer, or Bayer, however the fuck you pronounce their name. These organizations are subsidiaries, <laughs> former subsidiaries of IG Farben. What's IG Farben? IG Farben was the, uh, at during World War II, it was the largest pharmaceutical vaccine company in the entire world. And it was the foundation from which Nazi Germany spearheaded its entire program. Uh, they were the ones that extracted oil from rubber, which was uh, you know a major innovation back then, which they actually learned and got from from Standard Oil, Rockefeller's controlled Standard Oil. All the documentation for that's also available. In fact, Harry S. Truman, former president, back when he was a senator, he was uh, somebody that was behind the investigation and all of that, and he basically said that it was treason what the Standard Oil Empire did, and they were even fined, but it ended up getting dropped. <laughs> the whole uh, thing ended up getting dropped because the U.S. government was also dependent on Standard Oil. Standard Oil also gave oil to Nazi Germany and to Japan, the Empire of Japan. You know, playing all fucking sides, man. Um, and Chase Bank was also Chase Bank at the time, the biggest shareholders with the Rockefeller family, and they were the ones that bankrolled the Nazi German uh, entire effort as well. So, so my point is with IG Farben, the subsidiaries BASF and uh, and Bayer. They are subsidiaries of IG Farben. IG Farben were key in implementing the so-called Holocaust um, and, uh, and and these programs, the so-called Final Solution. You know, they were key behind that in weaponizing vaccines and killing people and exterminating people. After World War II, and listen to how crazy this shit is, there was a dude, John J. McCloy, who was a close family of the, of the Rockefellers. In fact, he taught the Rockefeller brothers, the younger ones, had to sail. And he was also a one-time chair of the Council of Foreign Relations, just a high-ranking dude, you know, he's a board bank. John J. McCloy, he was at that time a high commissioner to Germany. In the wake of World War II, when all of the executives for IG Farman went on trial and other Nazi war criminals went on trial for crimes against humanity, he absolved them of their crimes. This dude, this Rockefeller dude, he absolved them of their crimes and several of them went straight back to work for BASF and Bayer. Straight back. I mean, how brazen is that kind of shit? You know, wouldn't happen probably now with the internet, but it happened back then. So when you see this going on now, that the human species is literally in a position where our survival is in question. And the evidence is undeniable. It's there. Shana Swan, she is a very highly revered, highly respected um, epidemiologist. You know, she's, this is a medical expert and she, lays it out there. There's nothing controversial. They haven't come to cut out her feet from under her just yet. Even if you can't say, oh, you know, it's undeniable that this is uh, the result of eugenics. If you really want to be ridiculously naive and incredulous about it, it's still wise to caution on the side 
of or, or to err on the side of caution and say, wow, this this is these too many coincidences going on here. Well, listen, you, when you think about these ideas and how long they've been around, it's not like they, they just go away. You know, no, they, exactly. they become more sophisticated. They they're hidden in different ways. I mean, 60 years ago, you have people talking about what you just said before, you know, of like intentions of, of let's, I think we should put uh, certain chemicals in the drinking water. I think we exactly. should uh, promote certain ideologies. Like they don't just disappear. Right. And, and, and let's weaponize an insecticide. And lo and behold, now the herbicide insecticide atrazine is exactly doing what this guy spoke about several decades before. I mean, isn't that kind of strange? Yeah. You know? What a coincidence. What a coincidence. But no, the, you know, the, the establishment loves us. They had to protect us. It wouldn't do anything to harm us. And, and what you said is, is so pertinent and relevant for people to understand. This ideology, you know, the Rockefeller family, eventually they are going to go, maybe it's several hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, whatever it may be. The Gates Foundation, even the Bill Gates, once their usefulness has been extrapolated and it's done with, then uh, they'll, they'll likely be gone too, or just through natural occurrences, whatever. But the ideology, the insane ideas, the laws that get implemented, that take away more of our freedoms and make us more, ever more so their guinea pigs. This stuff is is much longer lasting, guys. It's it's potentially infinite. And the only way it's going to get undone is when we stop playing this. When we step up, we level up from being the chessboard pieces, for being the pawns on the chessboard that get moved around and, oh, you left wing, oh, you right wing, and not doing shit except for kind of dividing ourselves amongst one another. Until we get to the point where we say, you know what, we share the same principles, but there's an elitist element that has dominated throughout the human story. And clearly history indicates that this is a much greater threat. And right now we are literally faced with our own survival. You know what I mean? Like future generations. I have a son. I know, Joe, you have a son. I don't know if you also have a, a child brother. Mm-hmm. Actually, I know you, you've got, uh, I think, a son and a daughter. Right, I've got two daughters. Oh, you got two daughters. Good for you, man. Thanks. I know. Awesome, brother. So, so you know, that gives you a new dimension as well, like in this fight. You know, it, it gives you a whole new dimension as well. Now we're like, you know, they never chose. I mean, who knows? Maybe we don't know how it all works. Maybe they chose to come to this world this crazy time. I don't know. But I mean, in terms of what we can measure, they didn't choose to come into this world where now they have to contend with these insane, sadistic pieces of shit. And uh, and that ideology needs to be contended with. It needs to be exposed. And we need to dedicate the bulk of our efforts towards that because the beautiful thing is it removes the, the political element from it. Oftentimes, they use politics, obviously, to divide us. But if we can always find a way to move beyond that and say, look, this is what it says. Yeah, this is what the evidence shows. And eugenics, in their way, what is particularly useful about the topic of eugenics is it's an excellent way to show people how uh, ubiquitous this ideology was and how philanthropist organizations, so-called charities like the Rockefeller Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, or the Carnegie Corporation, which is another one, and many others, how we have been told historically that they've done these beautiful, amazing things. In fact, they've done horrible, terrible, unspeakable things. And when people can see that, that at least starts to open their mind to the possibility. Yeah, 
I mean, I was I was blown away when I first came across some of this research about, um, you know, the early 1900s, like, you know, elite people in this in the scientific community and the political community that were like standing behind these ideas and were totally OK with sterilizing thousands and thousands of people because yeah, it's, they were coming it's, from it's, poor it's, classes and they, sh- you know, the, we, we sh- the poor people shouldn't be having kids. Yes, you know. and that's the thing. In Nazi Germany, that was just an extreme expression of eugenics. That's what that was, guys. You know, we were, we are taught that what happened in Nazi Germany and Hitler was this one-time event. It was this crazy psychopath. All the attention, Hollywood films, uh, textbooks, everything. Hitler, 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 Nazi, Nazi, Nazi. But it doesn't explain that he was a just a damn student, you know, of a, of a much more cryptic serpentine mm-hmm. establishment. And you know, you were talking about Edwin Black, who's he's got some really good information. On, uh, on eugenics, as he stated, and numerous other academic authorities and experts in this particular field, award-winning writers, which is good to throw that out there, you know, for the credulous commoners, so they can realize, oh, you've got an award, he's an official person, he's not a crazy person. They noted that once, just after World War II ended abruptly, that's when they started to go underground, the eugenics establishment. The Population Council was established in the wake of World War II, and that's why Frederick Osborne was prior to that, the uh, president of the American Eugenics Society, he was the first uh, president of the Population Council. Planned Parenthood was another organization, although they started already before World War II. But a lot of organizations that were um, uh, aligned with eugenics, they just did basically a facelift. Even science journals. Also, another thing, sorry, this is so important to point out. This is massive to point out. Thankfully, I remember now. As well noted by Edwin Black, internationally renowned world award winning author. And these books can be found for free, guys, on archive.org. It's basically a huge library. So just go on there and check this stuff out. Um, as he pointed out, uh, genetics that we call genetics today, biology, these movements were pioneered and spearheaded by the eugenics establishment. That's what they just they just did a 180 and started calling what they were doing. Eugenic, I mean, uh, genetics. And the very interesting thing about that is um, what are the vaccines today? A lot of them are gene-based, right? Oh, just another coincidence. It's wild, man. It is wild. Crazy conspiracy theorists. (laughs) Yeah, and, and the thing is, all the evidence is out there, you know, and so many prestigious science journals as well, man, they changed their names. They had eugenics names and then they started to change their name. They would just replace the eugenics term with biology. And a lot of this information, guys, because unfortunately I can't record it off the top of my head. There's so much swimming around there. You can just go read that book um, from Edwin Black. It's called War Against the Weak. There's numerous other ones and that's not actually the best one, but that is, a, he does a really good job and he he documents meticulously how they started to kind of uh, replace eugenics with terms like biology, family planning, population control. You know, these innocuous sounding terms. It's rebranding that's always happening all the time, and has been Absolutely. happening throughout history. You know, even when you think about some of these ancient families, it's like, oh, I'm going to change my religion. You know, I'm going to change this. I got to rebrand I, myself. Yeah, you absolutely. Are. A, a profound example of that is the House of Windsor. You know, the House of Windsor during so during World War One. They and uh, their uh, counterparts in the United States, through um, the Creel Committee, 
or the Committee on Public Information, and, and then through Willington House, they spearheaded, they had this massive propaganda campaign against German people, which were the biggest ethnic group in the United States. And it was so vicious and so virulent that there were actually incidences where regular German civilians would be tarred and feathered, which is when you throw like hot oil and somebody throw, um, throw feathers on them. Some of them were noosed and hung in public places because these are the outcomes. They are scientific, predictably. This is a predictable outcome when you have a propaganda campaign, like, oh, terrorists, right, or uh, whatever it is, and people are like, oh, they're evil terrorists. And then in turn, they are willing to commit evil because they think that that is evil. So they, it's something that Professor Paul Bloom from Yale University who studied the best studies I've seen on human nature, he calls it righteous anger, which is where if some like if I yell about a pedophile, what do you want to do? You want to whip a pedophile's ass because that's involved in us, but they exploit that and they weaponize it. So in World War One, they had this massive propaganda campaign against uh, the German people. And it was, it was horrible. Like they started to change the names of, of uh, German things. So for example, the German shepherd became an Alsatian, um, a hamburger became, I think, a Liberty sandwich, something along those lines. They started changing the names, uh, historical monuments from German names to uh, like British sounding ones. They burned German books. They uh, they made it so that you couldn't teach German in school curriculum and stuff. Well, lo and behold, the Winslow family, they are actually Saxe, Coburg and Gotha. They are Germans. Yeah. So yeah, they are. And this shows where the allegiance lies. They don't give a shit about the tribalism that we care about. They don't give a shit about religion or race or they don't give a shit about none of that, man. They are binded together by their desire to rule. It's elitism. So yeah, we have this powerful family, German family, that is basically <laughs> sentencing like all of their so-called German brothers and sisters to uh, to like oppression and to being targeted in society because it's politically auspicious for them. And that just, I mean, enc encapsulates very brilliantly what you were pointing out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. It's fucking, it's, it's, it's bullshit. But look, on a final note, I know this stuff is very overwhelming and it can feel very over, just like, damn, man. I, I still believe, and we can talk about this too, I still maintain with uh, a high degree of certainty that they are on their way out and it's not a matter of if but it's a matter of when they are going to fall these motherfuckers and we are oh, yeah. like saying yeah we live in interesting times oh yeah and with a conscious choice of fate we yeah and we have an opportunity to facilitate their fucking fall i'm an optimist man you know i think at, at, at my heart i mean i like being aware of these things i like going down the rabbit holes but at the end of the day i'm just like i control my destiny i create my world you know, and uh, I, I have faith that things are going are always going to work out. It's like a core value system for me, but we'll see what oh, happens. Yeah. That's right. It's why cool. we're having this conversation, you know, at, at, at the end of the day. It's why we're able to have the conversation. And ultimately, like awareness is, is, the, is the majority of the solution. Because with awareness, you realize that you actually don't have to play the game anymore. You don't have mm -hmm. to partake in that charade. Opt um, out. Absolutely. I will co-sign on that shit all day. Yeah. Like as, as as sobering as the information is, I would every day of my life rather know than not know. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. I wholeheartedly agree, man. You know, knowledge, there are certain levels, don't get me wrong. You know, I, I like the to use the scene in the Matrix as an allegory where 
you know, Neo gets the information. He's like, I don't believe it. You don't believe it. And then he throws up. <laughs> it's going to pop. So that shit does happen. And there are certain people, like, I found myself in conversations with people because, you know, sometimes you just burst with this information. <laughs> Where some people, they don't need to be hearing this kind of thing. Like, it's very daunting and overwhelming. So I think there are certain ways to as well deliver it. You know, unfortunately, within what we do, um, you guys definitely aren't part of that demographic, fortunately. But within what we do, there's no shortage of people that think they're doing this great, fantastic job of giving people the truth, but they are also fear-mongering. And mm. in that particular context, fear is just as counterproductive, if not even more debilitating, even if not, even if not more dangerous than fucking ignorance. Because now you've got a fearful person running around, and, and that's like a weapon. Fear is a weapon. Um, I think it's so important that, you know, Joel, what you were saying, that awareness is the majority of, of the struggle. Absolutely. It is 99% of the struggle, I would argue. And the war that we are fighting, it's a, it's a war of awareness, you know, and the tools that they have is ignorance, it's deception, it's propaganda. And then the only formidable tools that we have against that, it's knowledge, it's awareness, it's truth, preferably verifiable. That's absolutely key as well. And then when you have that, you can successfully fight this war. But you get these people that think it's, you know, physical confrontation and and they fear monger, not realize, and sorry, fear is also one of the weapons, thinking that they, you know, let me do this. I'm giving people the truth. It doesn't matter. No, we, we, you've got to also have a certain level of delivery. And for people such as ourselves, that maybe we've done a, a bit more work on how we can frame our arguments, how we can put it together in a coherent manner, uh, we have a, a responsibility and a duty, I would argue, um, to do that to the best of our capability. Um, and, and look, I know it's not always easy to spoon feed people. Sometimes you have your moments where you're like, just what the of fuck? <laughs> what, what, what the fuck? Come on, man. So look around you. Just look around yeah. you. Open your eyes. Open your ears. Are you fucking kidding me? Yes, exactly. we have those moments. But yes. And, and at the same time, like, you know, it's very old and, uh, you know, might be a bit of a stereotypical expression, but you can lead a horse to water, you can't make a drink. Some people, man, it don't waste your time. Don't That's waste it, your man. time. That's it's it. It's like that you can have a good conversation. I've played the game long enough, man, where it's just like, yeah, it. I want to wake people up. It's just like, whatever, man, I'm going to do my thing, create the life that I want, be as joyful as I can be, as healthy as I can be, you know, create things with my homie over here. And then see what happens. And if people are interested, they're interested. But like, I, I just don't, I just don't, That's I don't care about people who don't even want to like allow any new information to even land and come in, you know? Exactly. Yeah. You're open to it. Cool. I'll have a good dialogue. But outside of that, my, yeah. my time's too valuable. And my, ener- and my energy is too valuable. My health is too valuable. You know, yeah. we were talking about fear before. If people understood what fear does to one's biology. You know, oh. it's like on both sides of the fence, people are fear mongering. And it's like, yo, you yeah. need to get out of that fear trap. Yeah, big time, man. And what you said, too, that's a, another thing that they have a lot of literature and evidence on is that fear is deadly. And yet they've weaponized fear, you know, and that's going to result in innumerable instances of premature death. We can't even measure it because they don't want to measure it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I love this discussion because at at the base of it, I think what people need to realize is that fundamentally you have the inalienable right to your own life. And that, that it's, that is the root of freedom and the freedom that you want for yourself. You have to offer everyone else. 
So if someone doesn't want to hear it yet, if someone's not interested in what you're saying, if someone wants to keep their eyes closed to what you may be presenting, you have to extend that opportunity to them. Because the moment that we try to use force um, to promote freedom, that's a contradiction which can't exist. Yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous. And it's hypocritical. You know, it's yeah. absolutely, no, it's obscene. Yeah, I agree for sure. Hmm. Wow, that was deep. <laughs> <laughs> like, where, where do we go from here? You know, I, I kind of want to ask like a random question that I was thinking of before, like even since we were talking about Hitler, do you think he yeah. like lived to be an old age or do you think he was take he was out in like World yeah. War Two? No, no, I, I, I lean towards the belief. I don't have uh, absolute undeniable evidence, but I definitely lean towards the belief that he was uh, facilitated, you know, they took him out of there through some kind of clandestine operation because there are several operations that we know about. Obviously, the most famous one is Operation Paperclip, mm -hmm. where they went to extraordinary lengths. I mean, they went to extraordinary lengths to absolve and rewrite the records and in sometimes delete the records of terrible, horrible war criminals, man, Nazi war criminals. Uh, there was also Operation Sunrise. This was facilitated by Alan Dulles of the Dulles Brothers. Alan Dulles was also a family, a friend of the Rockefeller family. And he was he did business with the with the Nazis. He also had an operation where he sent them to South America. So I, I think he may have ended up in South America. They also ended up in places in Europe. And some of these people were amongst the most notorious worst killers of all. There was Walter Schreiber and Kurt Blom, for example. Both of these guys were big in the biological warfare program. In fact, one of them, I think both of them, they weaponized vaccines with terrible plagues, like bubonic plague, and they injected into different um, uh, inmates and, and internment people, right? Um, there, were, there was them, you know, the, the butcher of Leon, Klaus Barbie, he was in South America. Lo and behold, this guy, then what he does over there when he goes to South America, uh, and sorry, Walter Schreiber and Kurt Blum both went to go work on MK Ultra. They instructed them in MK Ultra in the early beginnings on how to weaponize biological warfare agents and stuff. With Klaus Barbie, who was called the butcher, the butcher of Leon, which is self-explanatory, very bad dude. He went to South America where he um, basically during Operation Condor, which was a CIA operation. This operation was spearheaded by Henry Kissinger, Nelson Rockefeller's protege, another member of the CFR. And... Um, Operation Condor was obviously when they overthrew Salvador, Salvador Allende in Chile, 1973. Then they started setting up death squads, crazy things, insane things in South America. Lo and behold, these death squads and some of these dictator governments, as in the case with Klaus Barbie, they are now being instructed by Nazi Germany uh, war criminals. So you see, again, it's this, it's this click. And that's, that's how the government is, beyond our specious perceptions of what government represents, that's actual government. It's yeah. people within multiple governments around the world, multiple organizations, clandestine networks, war criminals, and they work together to conduct these clandestine networks and operations. And shit. So do I think Hitler escaped? Yeah, for sure. You know, he played his role. He was he was being financed by all the major guys, the executives from IG Farben. They were forgiven their crimes. You know, it's it's logical. It's, it's sensible. It seems like... It, Sure, for public um, to appease public outcry, you know, to appease public outcry, they probably got rid of him in that sense. Just how they killed Jeffrey Epstein, right, mm -hmm. to uh, <laughs> pacify public opinion. But yeah, I'm I lean towards the belief that he's he likely escaped. 
I hear you. Gavin, yeah. your, your capacity to retain and recall information is fucking insane, dude. Like, <laughs> Thanks, bro. I work it, hard at it. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. Is the fight, you know? This is the war that we fight. It's about, it's about awareness. It's about information. So yeah. I, I sit there and I try to think of the most elaborate ways that I can use my neurons to connect to one another and remember this shit. I mean, I come up with crazy things in my head to remember <laughs> these things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a there's a whole sector of the quote unquote truth movement, which obviously blames the Jews for absolutely everything, right? Yeah. How does yeah. how, do, how 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 does that fit in the puzzle with everything that I guess took place in 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 World War Two and where's that land with you? Yeah. So look, yeah. I mean, this is such a played out thing where uh, everything Jewish is evil. Yeah. All right. And uh, there's a number of examples which which clearly indicate that's nonsense. Um, one of the less popular ones, in fact, I've never heard of it before, but I like to use it because it's a good point. Uh, I think her name was Lynn Margulis, if I recall correctly. And sorry, we'll get into the whole World War II thing in a moment. Okay. With Lynn Margulis, she was a pioneer in science. She was she actually won the Da Vinci Award and many other awards. She had like 200 peer-reviewed publications. And she was also, um, uh, compared to Charles Darwin in her importance in the field of science. So that gives a little bit of context about who we're talking about here. She was one of the most outspoken individuals about 9-11 being an inside job. She was Jewish. So, I mean, when you have examples like that, immediately it shows how ridiculous it is to say, like, you know, all Jewish people are evil and so on and so forth. In addition to that, in, uh, in Nazi Germany, I know there's a lot of speculation around this. Massive amounts of Jews were were murdered, guys, but also other races and other cultures as well. That's something that's often overlooked. Also, millions of other people. have the has, Is there a lot of propaganda surrounding it? Is it taken out of context? Are the numbers even potentially inflated? Yes, there may be possibilities there, but it's because they're using that to based on my assessments, based on what I would consider to be a vantage point. You know, I've climbed this mountain of information. From that position, I would say they do this to conceal the very important history and ongoing history of the eugenics movement, mm-hmm. which you can, you can trace it, you know, and it conceals their, their role in it. And as well, it also serves to conceal how the most powerful individuals, the most powerful organizations, I mean, Standard Oil, DuPont, Chemical, Dow, um, Chase Manhattan Bank, IBM, ITT, all of these companies were massive in, in Nazi Germany. In fact, the chairs of those organizations at the time, they were all awarded by Nazi Germany. So it, it's a beautiful way to conceal their role. And it's, it's alarming, I know, that they've been able to conceal their role. But in this way, the, the average Jewish person, guys, is, is just as much a victim of Jewish elitists as anywhere else. In fact, the guy we were talking about earlier, Madison Grant, he was financed by uh, one of the Warburg brothers or, oh, what is it? Schiff, the Schiff family, sorry. It's a Jewish family, guys. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Madison Grant was virulently um, like anti-Semitic, legitimately. Hitler as well, he received uh, financial help from, um, from, uh, from, from the Warburg family, you know. So, and there were also Jews that worked for Hitler. So it's, it's not a matter of, of race, guys. I know we get so hung up on this, but it really isn't. There's also 
instances during MK Ultra, which I've uh, written about this, I can't remember the exact hospital was, but it was a Jewish hospital. They conducted the experiments on Jewish patients. So it's it's not about Jews or blacks or people of color or white people. Those things are smoke screens used by the ruling establishment to maintain power. They they could give a shit. I mean, a, another example, for, if you look into the founding of Israel as a Jewish homeland. Now, don't get me wrong. What's going on in Israel is fucking terrible. It's untenable. I've looked very closely into it. It's insane that that is permitted to go along with such as the power of propaganda. What's going on in Palestine is just, it's, it's insane. But... If you look at the journals of Theodore Herzl, he's considered the founder of uh, of Zionism, right? Uh, in his journal, he's taught, he's not religious, first of all. They were just looking for a place. They spoke about having a place in North Africa, actually, as a, as a Jewish homeland. He was looking for financing and backing. He couldn't find any financing or backing. He went to the Rothschild family. The Rothschild family said, I don't give a shit about, basically, I mean, they didn't put it this way. I'm paraphrasing them, just to be frank. Basically said, we don't give a shit about uh, a Jewish homeland. But lo and behold, they found out there was massive, uh, there was like trillions in resource wealth over there, mineral deposits and stuff. And uh, also that it's a strategic location, geopolitically speaking. And then all of a sudden they took an interest, the Rothschilds in. So they, they they don't really give a shit, guys. It's, it's about elitism. They don't, they care, the Jewish elitists, which are the Rothschilds, the Schiffs, the Oppenheimers, they care as much, as much about the Jewish common person as the Bush family or the Rockefeller family cares about the common uh, European person or white person or, or the royal family cares about the European um, population. They just, they don't give a shit, guys. It's, it's a smokescreen. Yeah. When we look at like um, Hollywood movies, there seems to be so so many stories on the incredulous evil of hitler how come we don't see much on lenin mao stalin how come it's not highlighted in the same way it seems as though there's a real intention to reiterate um hitler over everyone else's atrocities yeah so look on this i can only offer my my opinion my perception i would argue against because there's actually such a mountain of information that is so incriminating. Uh, like I said, through congressional investigation, I have the documents. They showed that Standard Oil uh, literally committed treason. They said, and to paraphrase what was stated in the congressional investigation, that not only did they empower Nazi Germany in Hitler's war effort, but they debilitated the U.S. government's effort in the process. That's fucking, that's explosive information, you know. The same thing with, with Chase Bank. IBM, ITT, these things serve as the foundation of uh, the establishment, the Western establishment, and what I think was uh, John Perkins called the corporatocracy, yep. these corporations and stuff, because they still persist to this very day. And then as well, we have major uh, roles being played by these foundations, such as the Rockefeller Foundation. So I think that a lot of... Um, time, energy, and effort is spent on, on focusing on that because they don't want anybody else to do anything other, any other research about that. So it becomes so such a knee-jerk reaction that, you know, when you think of the most evil thing ever, people think about Hitler and then they think about the devil next, right? Hitler is, that's the dude. But again, like we spoke about, he was just a student. 
The other thing that we could take into consideration is um, with, you know, Mao Zedong and fucking uh, the, the dudes from uh, Lenin or um, Trotsky, you know, these individuals, I think maybe because they didn't do as good a job from the beginning of the communist revolutions at proliferating propaganda, that if people actually look into those as well, you can find, once again, the influence of the Rockefeller family. You can find the same influence of these different corporations. As well, it's important now because they're trying to spearhead. Um, I mean, it's, it's all bullshit because these are very ambiguous, politicized terms. They have multiple meanings to multiple people. But they also like to use uh, socialist ideals now amongst the population because it's very popular, you know. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not... It's it's such a loaded statement because it it creates so much polarization in uh, the way people view something like socialism, um, just like capitalism. And I don't get caught up in these things because it's a word. <laughs> it's a word that can mean many different things to many different people. What is of concern, what should be of concern, is what power structure, what families, what institutions, what intentions, what ideology is behind this political brand. So I think that's also probably an element, but I mean, I'm, I'm also, I'm just speculating. I don't know for sure. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree because like, obviously um, the, the base of a lot of these ideologies essentially is this whole idea of collectivism, you know, and, and what, what is collectivism other than exalting the interest of the quote unquote group above that of the individual and, and diminishing the, 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 the notion of the individual um, as, 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 as a lesser subject against the group. Um, so I think there's definitely interest in continuing to promote that because the moment that people realize that they alone have the rights to their own life, that they are individuals who can choose and dictate their own values, their own goals, um, they can they can use their own minds and they can achieve their own desires. And I think a lot of this falls apart as well. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that shit is coming. It's already yeah. Yeah, it's already yeah. The seminal event for me was the invasion, the protests against the invasion of Iraq in two thousand and three. I think if if things play out as they should, historically that will be recognized as like a major event from that kickstarted off this ongoing revolution. Gavin, man, um, do you have a final message for our audience here? Just guard your mind. You know, it's it's very important to guard your mind to have some balance. The world has become very much politically aware, but it's still going to be quite a while before the world becomes politically awakened. And what I mean by that is they've got everybody by their mind's eye and they are controlling what you are listening to. They are inundating you. They are saturating you with, with fear, with all kinds of information that has got insidious intent. It's got sinister motive. You know, they, it's about control guys. And, um, I think a lot of what we've spoken about here today at least can raise some suspicions, at least amongst the most uh, unsuspecting of people. You can at least say, wow, you know, this something doesn't sound right here. I mean, geez, this, yeah, with infertility is going up and in this history, this is actually really disturbing. This challenges the way that I've viewed the world. Now, once you become aware of that, you don't have to become too obsessive yep. with it. You know, there, there's guys like myself and then you guys as well who are researching this material and it's important that yes once you 
you should always question everybody, ourselves included. But once you realize, okay, you know, this is a, a fairly decent source of information, I'd like to be informed. From that point, the most important thing you can do, the most revolutionary thing you can do is have some balance with your family, is, you know, engage in, in something that makes you laugh, that makes you happy. Because right now, they want to compromise you psychologically above and beyond all else. And the best defense against that is obviously just to be happy. Do small things that make you happy. I'm not promoting willful ignorance. So be informed in a, in a rudimentary sense. Try to inform others. If you feel convicted, follow your heart. Get engaged. Get involved. But for now, you know, take care of your family. Eat good food. Avoid plastic stuff like plastic water and all that shit because there are chemicals in these things. I'm trying to make you paranoid. Just use a little bit of sensibility. It's impossible to avoid them all the time. And people will be happy to know that these chemicals actually are excreted from the body in a very short-term basis, which is why they saturate the, uh, us with them. Every like four hours, we get rid of this stuff. So, you know, just try to minimize that. Eat healthy, but um, yeah, man, long story short, physically, mentally, spiritually, focus on yourself. You can't pour from an empty cup. Well said, brother. Love a man. Bro, how can how can people support you in this in, in, in this ongoing venture of yours? Uh, look, I've been working a lot on a course. Uh, I, I realize there's a next another dimension to what's coming here. It's actually gonna be a course in identity, you know, in human identity and purpose. Great. Because that's the next, it's not just the next frontier, it's happening obviously right now. But I'm torn between whether I'm gonna do a course or just start doing um seminars because I have such a high standard, it can take me a long time to do these things. So I try to meticulously source it in an infallible way. So I'm torn between which one I'm going to do right now. But I am on Patreon. Uh, obviously, Joel, thank you so much for your support, my brother. I appreciate it. And on there is where I kind of actually provide my rough drafts because I, I edit these things. But I provide information first and foremost to obviously my supporters on Patreon and subscribe store before anywhere else. And I'm about to get done with a, basically a blog that has taken me like half a year to write. And it's taken me many more years to research all the information. And if you read that within there, it basically gives you at the risk of sounding a bit, uh, <laughs> a bit ridiculous. It gives you all the information that you need to understand what's been going on in this world for the past several decades, how global government works, how the system works, and rather than giving you ideologies to point the finger at or giving you political parties to point the finger at or anything along those lines, it gives you actual families, it gives you actual names, it gives you the actual organizations. And these are institutions and families that are still in power to this day. And they definitely need to be scrutinized a hell of a lot closer. We need to start, you know, standing together. And as expressed in the Hunger Games, that we remember who the real enemy is. Hmm. Bro, thank you so much for who you are, for what you do. Um, and your Patreon is an invaluable source. I highly recommend everyone to go and subscribe there. And it's also way too cheap if I'm being, if, if, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I agree. But get on board and support the brother and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Hey, thank you guys, man. Much love. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing I'm in a DeLorean Fast forward in evolution to a place where we can share our confusions Yeah, 450 BC, I'm sharing tea with confusion